Hashem. Yeah, no, I kept my mother. I kept her. Hine. My mother, my sister, my cousins. Other than that. Hine. Says the The goal in the creation was to give from the goodness of Hashem the Zulasai to another. The Ramchal over here in one line describes the answer to one of the most complex philosophical questions within the framework of Judaism. We have an axiom as Jews. That axiom is that Hashem is perfect. Ramchal says that this is chapter 2. Um, in chapter 1, he puts across that Kol Ishmi Israel, every Yid, he has to believe and know which is interesting, his order. There's an emuna and there's a yediyah. Shiyam in He needs to have a faithfulness to and a intellectual understanding of Shiyam that there is there, Motsu Yerishoyim, a first cause, Kadmain, before all, Venitzchi and eternal, Vuhu Shihimtsi, and he brought into being Umamti and brings into being Komashanim to the Matthias. Every reality, Vahu Ha and he is God. Oid, Sarakshiyeda, there's another thing you need to know. Shamatsu as a Isbarh Shmoy, Aina Mitas Mitsiusoy Musegas Zulasoy Klau. No one can ever grasp what the Rebbeinu Shalom is. And the only thing we can know of the Creator The only thing we can possibly grasp about the Rebbein Shlolom is that He is perfect. But since He is way beyond us and we are, relatively speaking, minute creations, so we don't have the expansiveness to be able to grasp even to say we couldn't grasp all of the Creator would be one thing. We can't even grasp one thing about the Creator. We can only, in terms of our limited faculties, define the Creator by one thing. He is perfect in all ways. He is complete in all ways. But really, that's all we can say. Because we can't say anything about the Rebbein Shalom Bechlau. But could we say he's not complete and perfect because those are human ideals? Those, I, those are things con- concerning a human being. Hashem isn't cons- complete or perfect, theoretically. Because that involves him having limits. So again, when it means perfection, it means exactly the opposite to what you're saying. It means that there's nothing that limits him in any way. That there's no limitation. That the only thing we can understand about him is that he's, that he's, that he's not limited by any form of limitation. That means he's completely complete. And says the Ramchal, this was passed down to us through the forefathers and through the prophets. Now, what happened was the Kali Israel as a nation had these lessons and teaching, and they carried them with them from the beginning of their inception 
throughout the torturous slavery in Egypt through the desert until the point where they reached a moment of revelation at the Mount Sinai and at that point in time it no longer became a tradition it became an experience and a reality Mahmud Har Sinai Mahmud Har Sinai was a point in history where every Jew man, woman and child experienced a degree of prophecy where there was no longer any doubt because they had, as it were, we want to see our king, and they did. And that was a point which was a climactic point in Jewish history. And then they became an important purpose and mission. That there would never be a generation till the end of times that lost the sense of that prophetic revelation. And therefore it became imperative that every person that experienced that event was charged to transmit it with absolute faithfulness to the following generations and then to their children and then to their children until 3,300 years later that tradition has in no way diminished or died until the fire that burnt at Sinai still very much alive in the Batimidrashos and in the hearts of the Jews today. And that's what the Ram Chal says. And they taught it to their children generation after generation until today. Because Moshe Rabbeinu said Lest you forget what I saw. And you should teach them to your children and to your children's children. Ma'amad Sinai functions as a fulcrum of our existence. And our connection to Sinai is the overriding theme of how we do what we do. That's why it's interesting, as uh, perhaps we referenced previously, what the Pasuk says as an introduction to the Aseris Hadibris. As you all know, the Aseris Hadibris are introduced with a Pasuk which has, like the first Pasuk in Bereshis, 28 words, 28 letters and 7 words. You know what that Pasuk is? The 7 words and the 28 letters are a hint to the seven days of creation, which again correspond to the seven midas of Chesed, Gura, etc. And the 28 letters of the, of the, of the first pasuk are the gematria of Koyach, which means strength, which is made up of Yud Dalad, Yud Dalad, which is Yad Yand, Hashem's hand, hand. And uh, the creation of the world came about through two, Kosh Bofu Kivyocha manifesting himself through his two hands. And that's why that pasuk it's placed where it's placed. So that, that seems great, but when you get to the Pasuk which, which introduces us to the Aseris Adibris, so even though it's constructed of the same format, it seems really so irrelevant that one would never even notice it in his brief sojourn of the, of the Pasuk when doing Shnaim Mikra Ve'echot Targum. The Pasuk says, just, just before the Sarah Sadibrais, the classic Pasuk,
it's found in Perek Chof Pasuk Aleph of Shmois, chapter 20, verse 1. And here comes the Pasuk. Life changing, revolutionary. What's the Pasuk? Vidaber Elohim 2. S3. Call 4. Hadvarim 5. Ha'ele 6. Lemon 7. And Hashem spoke all these words saying, that's it. That's like, gracious for the Kimis of Shemantis. Hashem, beginning Hashem created the heavens and earth. And then you have the other parallel postuk, which is, and Hashem spoke these words saying, what an anticlimax. This is a postuk we've been waiting for. This is a postuk which is somehow the other side of my separations of the creation of the world. The Yidata Elohim is called Hadvarim Ha'eleleimo. And Hashem spoke all these words saying, and then you read Rashi and you become even more perplexed. Rashi says, Elohim, Elohim Hashem, Elohim, the name Elohim, it doesn't say Vyadaber Hashem, Yudke Vavke, the name of mercy of Rachamim. Rather, it is Vyadaber Elohim. Why is Aserus Adibris introduced with the shame? Elohim, Vyadaber Elohim, Ain Elohim Elodion. When it says Elohim, it means judge. The fee because Sheyesh Parshiyos Batayor. There are portions in the Torah. Shehimasan Adam, person does them. Kabelschar, you get reward. Vim love, and if you don't do them, Einoim Kabel Aleihem Puranus. You don't get any kind of consequences, no punishment. For example, sitting in the sukkah. If you're sitting in the sukkah, you get a reward. If you don't see in the sukkah and you're not eating, you don't get punished. Eating mats on Pesach, according to the Zonagon. If you eat it, you get a reward. If you don't, you say, you don't have to, except for the first night. You don't have to. So those are things that you, if you do them, good. And if you don't do them, you you don't do them. Yishkefelach, altidak, yibaseda. Yochel, Yochel, I would think, also the Ten Commandments should be this way. Talmud Leimar, Vidaber Leikim, Dayan Lipara. I would have thought that there's a difference would be this as well. If you did them good and if you didn't, that's okay. You don't get punished. Comes along the verse to tell me, no, Elohim. Elohim, Vidaber Elohim. He's a Dayan. He will exact. If you don't do this, you are in trouble. We punish Elohim. I ask you. I would have thought that when a person murdered, when a person served idols, when the person, the person committed idolatry, desecrated the Sabbath, didn't respect his parents. It's okay. I would have thought that. I would have thought there's no consequences. I would have had such a have a minute. Gentlemen, open up your minds and read the Rashi with a little bit of an inquisitive being. And you'll see that this Rashi seemingly is absolutely nonsensical. We need the Torah to tell me that were it not for the extra word of Kim, I would have thought that the Ten Commandments are nice options. A Pisca approach to the Ten Commandments. If you want to, Beseda! Beseda! Show him in the gear! It's a Chumra Ba'oma! It's a Chumra Ba'oma! Says in the Torah, Loi Sikra, Vulagalos Kol Evasar, you shouldn't go even close, Loi Sikra, which says, Show him in the gear, Isu Doraisa! Isu Doraisa! Every time you touch, you're touching fire! 
touching fire you may not feel your fingers being burnt up unfortunately unless you chiver you will be later ay, ay, ay. you would have thought you would have thought it's just a nice thing to do if you happen to be in the mood and you're a frumok yeah that's a kind of that's a mahalach it's an approach how approach to mitzvahs nice things to do avada and if you're in the mood lamalor i like this jewish stuff when i'm in the mood and there's no one there who's saying hi that's sexy i would have thought that that you would have thought that uh, ex- uh, sorry uh, again unless you're part of a particular subgroup of people i don't think you would have thought that I mean, there are those who say, "Ah, you see, we're right. <laughs> we have a higher from Rashi. We have an Mahala. No, 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 no. Oh, no, 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 no. What's going on in Rashi over here? What, what, what would you have thought? It's clear. It's a posh. It's a baruch but so I'm as light as the sun at noontime. Sounds better in Hebrew. That there's no way that we would have ever, ever, ever have thought that the Ten Commandments are optional. There's too many other psukim in the Torah that tell me that those things you're liable for the death penalty for. That's not a, that, those, are, those are things which are at the, the core of our being. You give up your life for them. You give up your life for them. If you give up your life for it, it's not like something that's okay if I'm in the mood, you know. So what does Rashi mean? What does Rashi mean? So Moshe Shapiro said a very insightful understanding what does Rashi means. Ridaber Eloikim is called a person could understand the Ten Commandments out of context. You could understand the Ten Commandments as being directives, as being systems of guiding you through life, as opposed to an expression of a moment of prophetic connection. You would have thought, Yochel, when Rashi says, Yochel, I would have thought that even the Ten Commandments are that, that if you want to keep them, you can. If you don't want to keep them, you don't have to. Meaning, if you want to keep the Ten Commandments as a reflection of Mahmud Har Sinai, if you want to keep the Ten Commandments as a continuation, as an ele- as a expression of a prophetic moment where you yourself, just a few generations back, experienced the Creator revealing Himself to you, you would have thought that keeping Torah as that, meaning that my adherence to Torah would be based on the fact that I thought these laws were good, but it wouldn't have to comprise of a living national memory of the time that we got the Torah at Sinai and we saw the Creator reveal Himself. You would have thought that that doesn't have to be part of my observance of mitzvahs. And if I do have that, it's great. And if I don't do that, there's no consequences. Again, there's no such thing in Judaism as a punishment because you're a bad guy. There's no such thing. A punishment is an illustration of deviation. It's just consequential. It's not <coughs> deliberate. It's there to fix you up the problems that you created. So I would have thought that a person could adhere to Torah without incorporating into the observant the fact that this is an embodiment and an implementation of a prophetic experience that 
my ancestors had and conveyed to me until it rings and reverberates in my very being. You would have thought that. You thought that it, would, it didn't have to be that way. You could just keep the mitzvahs as they are. Comes along the pasuk and says, "V'yadaber Elokim." It's called Adrona Eloimer. V'yadaber Elokim. Elokim. Akosh Baruch is telling me, "No, this is non-negotiable." Matan Torah as being part and parcel of our national consciousness is a non-negotiable entity. That's what we are. We are Matan Torah Jews, and we live with Matan Torah every day and every moment of our life. How do we live with that? We live with that in our approach to Torah. Because there's a strange thing about Torah. There's a very strange thing. The Jews gathered together at the foot of Mount Sinai are asked of their intent to receive the Torah. They proclaim and they get two crowns for this proclamation. We will do and then we'll understand afterwards. But we do. We're committing ourselves wholeheartedly to doing. Complete and total commitment. Then the Medrash says in the Gemara in Shabbos Daf Peiches when the crucial moment came he took Har Sinai and he lifted it above them and said listen if you want to receive the Torah good and if you don't boom here you'll be buried it says Toysus on the spot they said night of Anishma they didn't need coercion Toysus answers what he answers it says the Maral of course they didn't need coercion the point of lifting the mountain above them wasn't to demonstrate wasn't to incentivize them or coerce them into the acceptance of the Torah, it was simply to describe what the acceptance of the Torah is. The Torah, when you receive it, it's not negotiable. It's a reality. You have no choice. The only freedom of choice you have is to live in reality or illusion. There's no two realities. There's no essential choice. Essentially, we have a mountain held above us, and if you choose to keep the Torah good, if not, we're buried. We are buried. We're finished. Matan Torah means that Torah comes along with a prophetic experience that it's reality. It's reality. It's not a system of laws which apply to an external thing which is called the world. The world doesn't exist without it. It's a reality. So it says the Ramchal in his introduction that one of the most basic things about understanding of God V'hisigum kol Yisrael b'ma'amad ar-sinah V'hisigum kol Yisrael b'ma'amad ar-sinah And every Jew got that. At Mahabhadar Sinai, and every Jew got that now. We're sitting here, we are the continuing chain of that initial prophecy. Omnam says Ramchal, person, if he wants to, could go into logical proofs and explorations into proving the existence of God. And you could investigate and come up with proofs. We're not going to go into that. We're not going to go into proving that something which is safer like perhaps a bit the Kuzari, the Sefer Yikorim, Sefer Chavis of Abbas and Shai Yichud does. That's not what we're going to do. We're going to use the descriptions given to us as a tradition from our forefathers. Oid. So actually, you also have to know these are the fundamentals of our faith. Don't err in them. The first thing we learned that Koshboch is eternal and the only way to describe him as being perfect and complete in every possible way. What we also have to know is Mitsyusai Mitsyus Mukrach, Hashem's creation being is imperative. 
We have to understand that Kharsbrokh is not dependent on anything. And there's another point that he says that we have to understand that Hashem's existence is simple. This is more complex to understand. That there's no part in the creation. And that Akashbohu is completely in control and therefore it comes out. Again, Hashem completely in control, it's against the popular notion of good and evil that we've discussed many times before that posits good and evil as two warring parties engaged in the battle for the sovereignty over the given world or the creation. Oh no, no. The world and evil is like the Zohar Kodesh says, um, the prostitute that was hired to tempt the son of the king by the king himself in order that the son would prove his moral fabric by resisting the temptation. And she does her job when she fails. So too the Yetzirah is an emissary from the Creator that succeeds when he fails. The Prince of Darkness is the servant of the King of Light. As opposed to the Mahalik presented in J.R.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. That the Soren, the Dark Lord, what's Lord of the Rings? Is the is the competitor and opponent of the, the forces of good and there's a real chance that he may win in the Jewish perception of the world this yichud means there's no real existence to Ra evil doesn't exist it's only there to bring out good and that becomes the secret of the unity of creation that everything bad facilitates the good just like the decaying plant is the fertili- fertilizer which makes the soil grow so to everything which appears to be negative and rotting is just the power to create and therefore even as a person falls even as a person falls even as a person falls so shall he rise so wait the satan is the second most powerful being after Hashem? I'm not I'm not it's, it's impossible to say that right because you can't you can't you can't compare and contrast in relation to Hashem the satan is absolutely powerless it's only Hashem there's no, there's no, there's no competition, and there's no state of gra- gra- grading. Mm-hmm. Servant, bottle So he's the top servant then of Hashem. Again, I, can't, I don't know, I don't know the. Uh-huh. Wins when it loses. In other words, what happens is you get a temptation to. It wins when it loses. Define that. What do you mean by that? A practical example. Mm-hmm. You wake up in the morning. Mm-hmm. Davening starts at 7.30. Mm-hmm. Okay. The Yator comes in and says, I want you to make your davening count. So I'm going to push you down like you want to sleep for the next 10 hours. <laughs> what he wants you to do? He wants you to say, I'm not going to fall prey to this desire to sleep because there's something bigger than the needs of my body. And he overcomes it, and the Yetzirah rejoices that he didn't win. When the Yetzirah loses the power of sleep, and he's vanquished, you got up, 
he rejoices that you triumphed over him and that the light of Hashem was brought into the world by the resistance. The most meaningless thing you can ever do is fight against something when there's no resistance. Why would the Yitzhahara though want us, why would the Yitzhahara want us to succeed and then bring a hardship? In order for you to grow. Just like when you want to build muscles, you use heavy weights and not light ones. Just like when you want to be good at a sport, you train hard and not soft. Just like when you want to excel in academic challenges, you're given tests which challenge you and don't not challenge you. That's the rule of life. The bigger you're going to be depends on the demands made from you. Therefore, the eighth third, eight third says, I will make maximum demands so you can be the greatest person you can possibly be. If you would like some demands, I'll be happy to make them upon you. You already did. You already did. <laughs> 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 what is the thing about the rotting? Sorry? You have a good example about the rotting. Everything bad tastes the good. What do you say when plants rot? When plants, the, the rotting of the plants forms the fertilizer, fertilizer of the soil which causes other plants to grow. That's called soda yichud, that everything links into everything else. The ecosystem, there's nothing separate. It's all one big yichud. One big yichud, that's the yichud Hashem. Nothing is separate. Ein oid mil vadoi. Anything which appears to be diverse and disparate is purely an illusion. Ein oid mil vadoi. The only thing that there is in the world is Hashem. Ein oid mil vadoi. Ein oid mil says the Ramchal therefore to sum up the things that we know about the creation the creator are sixfold Amitus Mitziyusa is Baruch Shmoy the reality of his existence Shlemusa is perfection Hechrach Him Otsoy the fact that his being is imperative Hiyoisi built in Nitle Bezulose he is independent Pshitusoy he is simple Vichudoy and he is one now you understand the background to the next line in the Ramchal when he says, In that one line, the Ramchal delves into a basic philosophical issue. Now you've told me all these things about the Rebbein Sholem. The second one being, He's perfect. The question obviously, obviously arises. A perfect creator doesn't need a world. He doesn't need the world. So why was the world created? And now you understand the first lesson in Judaism that the only reason that the world was created was not to do a single thing for the Creator but to overflow the goodness into another being. If a person does, takes his life and he bottles up to the nth degree, do you affect Hashem? No. If you become a Tzadigomo, do you affect Hashem? No. The only person you ever affect in your world is you. Is you. So that's an axiom. The axiom of, of, of that the Ramchal presents is that the nature of goodness is to expand. That's as close as we can get. We can't really get beyond that. But what we can do is we can resolve the fact that it's not coming from a lacking, it's an altruistic act that comes from a position of completion and not from deficiency. So you could say that he could have, he could have did it without us, but this is the way he chose to do it. Correct. Okay, so that's that's introduction to Ramchal. Then he goes and he says, V'hinei, tirek, y'levado yizboch ma'ashleim esamiti. He's a perfect completion and he has no deficiency whatsoever. And there's nothing, and this is the question that you're saying, Andrew, 
Any other thing which we describe as being complete and whole is not ready. HaKadosh Baruch is the only thing which is entirely complete. Anything else is only relatively complete. Over here the Ramchal introduces us to the most fundamental working point working point, working procedure of this world. In our world there are no absolutes, there are only relatives. The nature of the world is a relative world. There's nothing which is perfect. But, based on something else, it looks perfect. But there's no such thing as perfection. Our world is a world by its very nature that things have value. More, less. There's no, we can't grasp an absolute in our world. This is an idea that we have to push further, but I feel that I've perhaps overtaxed you for one, what should be casual, 12.30 Musashir. Therefore, we will now have a small break of comic relief. <laughs>